This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Gee, no time for chatting tonight, so it's straight to the action, and there will be listening to another episode of Dimension X. This program first aired in 1950, and it's entitled, And the Moon Be Still. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the Whistler? Nita, what is it? What's wrong with you? I don't know. All of a sudden, I, I got a terrible feeling. A horrible feeling of, of foreboding. I'm frightened, Tom. Another Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. I, the whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. And so I tell you tonight the unusual story of malice. Dr. Jacob Benton is the wealthiest citizen in a certain upstate county, as well as its most prominent physician and surgeon. Jacob Benton is a proud individual, proud of the fact that he comes from a long line of highly successful surgeons. And his greatest ambition is that his son, Tom, will follow in his footsteps and carry on the family tradition. Jacob has also a nephew, Harvey, son of Jacob's scapegoat brother who married a girl from the wrong side of the town and finally disappeared, leaving Jacob to take care of his young son. After finishing high school, Tom and Harvey entered medical school. Harvey followed through and is to graduate next week. But Jacob's son, Tom, at the end of his third year, wandered over to the East Bottoms at the lower end of town and uh, met a girl, lost interest in medicine, and refused to go back to school. Tom. Tom. Yes, Father? Come into the library. What do you want? Where have you been? It's two in the morning. Why, I've been to a party. Where? A house party. On the other side of town? Yes. In the East Bottoms. You've seen that girl, that Nita, again, haven't you? Yes. What of it? What of it? You're a disgrace to the name of Benton. I've told you time and again that you don't belong over there. I like Nita because she's honest and genuine. She's not filled with a lot of silly ideas like Eloise. Eloise is a fine girl. She belongs to an excellent family. Oh, bosh. Eloise is a phony. Nita's a real fellow. If you become serious about this girl, you'll be ostracized. I know. I know all about poor Uncle George. He went over to the East Bottoms and met a girl and went to the dogs. But it wasn't the girl. 
He was no good in the first place. He was a stubborn fool, just like you. I resent being told who and when and where. Are you in love with this girl? Yes. I'm terribly disappointed in you, Tom. I'd hoped, I'd prayed that you'd become a surgeon. I don't like medicine. You were wrapped up in your studies until you met this girl. That's what you think. I'm ashamed of you. Your cousin Harvey came from the lower end of town. I made him see the light. And then think of it. You about face and walk right into it. You quit school and he graduates next week. All right, his name's Benton, too. Let him carry on. He likes medicine. It bores me. This girl has made a fool of you. Oh, I could kill her. I think I'd better go to bed. Good night. Good night, young idiot. He's going to finish school if I have to... What's all the racket about down here? Oh, uh, come in, Harvey. I... I heard voices. Yes, it was Tom. He's been to a party across town. Been out with that cheap girl again, that Nita. Are you sure? He admitted it. Says he's in love with her. Tossing his career to the winds over a woman like that. How long has he been seeing her? Oh, several months, I suppose. That's why he wouldn't go back to school. All she's after is his money. How he ever met up with her, I'll never know. I'm afraid I'm the cause of that, Uncle Jacob. You? What do you mean? Well, when, when I was home last summer, I went over there one evening, several evenings, in fact. Tom insisted on going along. I wanted to see some of the kids. I went to school with Nita, and, well, I introduced them. Well, of all things, you were born over there, and if you insisted on going back, it was your own business. But Tom is my son. You knew how I felt about it. You had no right to take him over there. I realize that now. Well, something's got to be done about it at once. Yes, but what? I'll put an end to it. Believe me, I'll find a way and I'll stop at nothing. For the remainder of the night, Jacob sits in the library studying the problem of what to do about Tom. And upstairs, young Harvey paces to and fro, pondering over the same question. The next morning, Harvey goes to the lower end of town to visit Nita. Hello, Nita. Harvey. Why, I, I didn't know you were back in town. You didn't? I came home last night. I'm going back in a few days for graduation exercises. Have you missed me, Nita? Why? Why, yes. Why haven't you written me in the last month or so? Well, I, I've been busy. Been across town lately? No, why should I? You know, it's a strange thing about this section called the East Bottoms. It means more than just a, a place. It's a huge barrier. An insurmountable obstacle. I was born over here, same as you. But I got an idea that I could cross over. And in time, I'd be accepted as one of them. But I finally realized that I would never be accepted. I'd only be tolerated. I'd never be able to practice medicine over there. I think that's all imagination. I told you I had definitely decided to come back here and settle down. That's why I asked you to marry me. I'm not satisfied here. Since when? I've never been satisfied here. You belong here, Nita. You'll never be able to cross over. You'd be miserable. I know. Maybe. And Tom would never last over here. He'd wash up just as my father did. What are you talking about? I know what's happened. You're throwing me over for Tom. What? You're after Tom because you think he'll take you out of this. Set you up on the other side. Well, he won't. You'll have to come over here, and he won't have a dime. You're not really in love with Tom. I am in love with him, and he loved me. It won't me. last a minute. I'll make it last. Oh, don't be a fool, Nita. 
Tom's father thinks you're a, a good for nothing, and he'll never change. I don't care. I love Tom. And when it came to a showdown, Tom would walk out on I'm you. going to marry him. I've made up my mind. Then there's nothing more I can say. Goodbye, Nita. Goodbye. <laughs> That evening, Dr. Jacob comes to a decision, and he too crosses town and makes his way to Nita's apartment. Well, what do you want to talk about, Dr. Benton? About my son, Tom. I see. How long have you known him? Oh, since last summer. Have you seen him often? Yes, several times a week for the last two months. You think you're in love with him? I don't think. I know I am. I don't think he's in love with you. He's merely infatuated. You're interested in his position, his money. You can think whatever you like. I'm familiar with your type. My... my type? What's the matter with me? Are you aware of what you're doing to my son? I've done nothing, nothing at all. You've caused him to drop his career. Tom has a tradition to fulfill. He comes from a fine family. And I won't have him throw it all to the wind because of a silly infatuation. It isn't an infatuation. He must marry someone in his own class. Someone who'll inspire him to carry on his career. I didn't talk him out of his career. He says he doesn't like medicine. The right girl wouldn't allow him to stray. She would encourage him to follow through. The right girl. Family. Tradition. It's all a lot of bosh. Everybody in this town has made up his mind that the East Bottoms mean the difference between somebody and nobody. Well, I haven't. I'm made of the same stuff as you or Tom or anybody else over there. I have a right to a decent existence. If it's money you want, I'll give you money to let him alone. I'll give you a lot more than you'll ever get from Tom if you marry him. Money? You... You'd pay me to give him up? Yes. Here. Here's a check for $5,000. $5,000? Is that all your son is worth to you? $5,000? If he were my son, and I thought I could buy his future, I'd give every cent I had. What? You mean you want more than that? Dr. Benton... You don't possess enough money to buy me off. I don't want money. Well, what goes on here? Hello, Tom. He came just in time. What are you doing here, Father? What do you suppose? What's he been saying, Nita? He just gave me this check for $5,000. For what? To let you alone, so you can continue your career. What? He thinks I'm wrecking your life. He is. That settles it. We'll get married tonight. You won't get married tonight. Not in this state. We'll fly over to the island. That's in another state. They don't have the three-day law. Get your things, Nita. If you marry this girl, I'll never give you another cent. I'll get along. Come on, Nita. Tom, I'll stop at nothing to break this up. I promise you'll regret this moment so long as you live. Let's go, Nita. So Tom and Nita rush out of the house and drive to the airport just outside of town. A storm has come up. The highway glistens in the beam of the headlights. This rain is certainly like a cloudburst. Maybe we shouldn't fly over tonight, Tom. Why not? I don't like to fly in a storm. How, how can you tell where to land? Uh, don't worry about that. I'm familiar with the field. Who's on the island at this time of year? Well, not many people. We've had this summer place there as long as I can remember. There's an old fellow and his wife who look after most of the places. He's also a justice of the peace. He can marry us, we'll spend the night at our place, and then we'll go someplace else tomorrow. Tom, are you sure you want to go through with this? Certainly. Why do you ask? Your father meant what he said. Is it... is it worth it? 
to give up everything? You're worth a dozen family fortunes. But but now that I think about it, it... it well, he sort of frightened me. He didn't frighten me. Well, the way he said it made... my children up my spine. Said what? You'll regret this moment so long as you live. Oh, he was just bluffing. But somehow, I... I don't think he was. He can cut me off, but we'll get along. Tom... Why don't you finish your studies? I told you, darling. I don't like medicine and I never will. Why should I do something I dislike just because my father and my great-great-grandfathers liked it? Well, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. But I'll find something. Tom? Yes? What is it? (laughs) Nita. What is it? What's wrong with you? Oh, I I don't know. All of a sudden... Got a terrible feeling. A feeling of. of foreboding. Snap out of it, Nita. This isn't like you. I know, but I can't help it. I'm frightened. Of what? I don't know, but I am. Oh, tell me, turning back. Let's wait, please. Oh, no, you can't back out now. We're going through with this. But he meant it. Your father meant what he said. I know he did. Please turn back. I wouldn't turn back for all the money in the world. I don't need lights to land. We should have come in a boat. No, it's too choppy for a boat. This is the only way in weather like this. Tom, there, I see a light. Just went on. Yeah? Old Jenkins probably heard it. The, the light is swinging. Yeah, that's it. That's the field. It's a tiny one, but I can make it. There's a light. Yeah. We're all right now. Hang on. I'm going to set her down. I don't know yet. Good thing it didn't catch fire. Who are they? No, no. Hold the lantern down here. It's a woman. Uh, Don't recognize her. Hey, hey, this is young Tom Benton. Oh, the girl is hurt bad. Look at her legs. They must be broken. Yeah. Come along. We'll get him over to the house. Phone Doc Benton. This Dr. Benton's home? Uh, this is Jenkins over on the island. Is Dr. Benton there? Oh, is that you, Harvey? Well, you better find Doc and get him over here right away. It's young Tom. He tried to land his plane and hit some trees. Uh, I don't think Tom is hurt so bad, but the girl has smashed up something terrible. I don't know who she is. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> didn't take you long to get here, Harvey. We've got him over at our place. How in the world did Tom hit those trees? I had no trouble seeing the field. The lights weren't on when Tom came in. Didn't even hear his motor until it was too late. He should have phoned me. He was coming. Hey, where's Doc Benton? He's out on the case. 
left the station's house, so I, I left a message telling him I was going ahead and to come as quickly as possible. I brought some medical supplies. Here we are. Tom's over there on the couch. I put the girl in the bedroom. Few mm-hmm. few cuts on him. Don't think he has any broken bones. Oh, nasty bump on the head. Maybe a slight concussion. Well, I better have a look at the girl. Looks to me like both her legs are broken. Peter. Poor kid. You know who she is? Yes. Yes, I know who she is. Uh, Was I right about her legs? Yes. Both rather badly smashed up. Where were they going on a night like this? I imagine they came over here to get you to marry them. Marry them? Well, I'll be darned. Wonder why they didn't phone me first. They were in too much of a hurry, I suppose. Too bad. She's in a very critical condition. Extreme shock. Better get some hot water and plenty of blankets. Yeah, right away. Get the house warmest part one. Put more blankets on Tom. I'll be right back. Martha? Uh, yes? How is she? Harvey says she's in bad shape. Gather up all the bedclothes and coats you can. Got to cover them up good. Put on plenty of water to heat. I'll build up the fire. Outside, the storm rages on. Harvey sits quietly beside Nita's bed, staring at her in a daze. Her breathing becomes shallow, irregular. A quarter of an hour passes. Then a plane motor is heard overhead. The ship sets down, and Dr. Jacob hurries to the house. Tom's over there, Doc. Tom. Tom. He's been unconscious ever since we brought him in. Can't find any fractures. He's got an awful wallop on his head. Yes. I see. Hmm. No apparent concussion. He'll be all right in a short while. Um, get some pillows. Raise his feet. On his head, Laura. I'll get them. You certainly got it hot in here. Yeah. And Harvey had us do that because of the girl. She's pretty bad. Girl? Where is the girl? Oh, in the bedroom there. Harvey's in there. Uh, I'll have a look at her. Harvey. Harvey. Huh? Oh. Hello. What's the matter with you? Uh, I just... Are you crying? No, no, I... I I'm just... <sighs> It's a miserable mess. Fine example of a doctor you are. You have to learn to be completely impersonal about these things. Oh, I know. What do you say is wrong with her? Both legs are broken. She's suffering from extreme shock. Uh Uh-huh. Better take your bag. Go out there and give Tom a shot of adrenaline. I'll attend to the girl. Yes, sir. Harvey gives Tom the adrenaline and proceeds to attend to the cuts and bruises. Then he moves to the fireplace and sits staring into the blaze. The storm rages on. The minutes drag slowly along. Ten, twenty, thirty. Then Dr. Jacob steps out of the bedroom. Harvey. Yes, sir? 
Has Tom come out of it yet? Not yet. But he shows improvement. He'll be all right in a little while. I see. Jenkins. Yes, Doc? Get us something to make a pallet. We'll carry him down to the plane and take him over to the hospital. Sure, right away. I'll get four poles and some rope. I'll have two made in a jiffy. Never mind two. Just one. The girl is dead. Then on the following day, Tom has fully recovered. Gradually, the events of the preceding hours begin to pass before him. The argument, the island, the plane, Nita. Nita screaming, and then the crash. And then, Nita, Nita, where is Nita? Tom sends for his father. But Jacob is already standing in the shadows of the room. How do you feel, Tom? Nita. Is Nita all right? Oh, now, take it easy, Tom. Don't get excited. Where is Nita? Forget about Nita for the moment. You've been pretty badly banged up. A little more and you'd have had a real concussion. What about Nita? If you insisted on flying to the island, why didn't you phone Jenkins to turn on the light? He heard my motor. We were in a hurry. Besides, I saw the lights. Jenkins said he didn't turn them on at all. Didn't hear you till just before you crashed. That's ridiculous. Where have you got Nita? Nita is at the undertaker's. She... What? She's dead. Lord, was she? Did it happen in the crash? No, she died about half an hour after I got there. Were you on the island? Yes, Jenkins found you and called the house. I was out on a case and got to the island too late to save her. What was the cause? Her legs were broken. She died from extreme shock. Was there nothing you could do? Nothing. Did you try? I resent that inference. You should know better than that. I'd rather have had anybody in the world there than you. Do you know what you're talking about? Yes, I do. You hated her. You didn't give her half a chance. Will you shut up and stop yelling? What did you give her? I gave her adrenaline. It was probably water. I've heard enough out of you. When you come to your senses, I'll consider talking to you. Good day. <laughs> Now Tom, his mind filled with suspicion, his heart burning with hatred, throws on his clothes, dashes out of the hospital and goes to the island. He reviews the whole situation with Jenkins. Each incident from the time he first heard the plane motor to the moment they took him to the hospital. Tom returns to town, arranges for an autopsy, and is now talking to the autopsy surgeon. Well, Dr. Groberg, how about it? What's your report? Well, both legs were fractured, but there was no compound fracture. There were several minor lacerations about the body and the head contusion. Nothing there that would have caused death? No, no, nothing. What else did you find? Any evidence of, of poison? No, none. She was suffering from shock? Oh, naturally, but uh, not extreme shock. Then, then she didn't die from shock. Death from shock would have been prevented by the adrenaline administered. Then you found adrenaline present? Yes, that is what I can't understand. What do you mean? Well, one of the most difficult things to diagnose is the difference between extreme shock and internal hemorrhage. There was internal hemorrhage? Certainly. And this one was one of the easiest to diagnose I've ever seen. As you well know, adrenaline in internal hemorrhage is absolutely contraindicated. In other words, you think her death was caused by the administration of adrenaline? I do, definitely. But those things happen sometimes, regardless of how hard we try. Yes, 
Well, thanks, Doctor. I'll see you later. Hello, Father. Now, have you finally come to your senses? Yes. Yes, I have. I'd like to have a little talk with you. Very well. What about? I've been doing a little investigating. Investigating? Now, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Nita. Are you going to start on that again? I am. And I'm going to follow it to a conclusion. I don't want to have anything more to do with it. But I do. I've had a hard day, and I don't care to listen to any more of your idiotic babblings. How would you like to have the grand old name of Benton? The untarnished reputation of your long line of surgeons blasted to a thousand pieces. What are you talking about? How would you like to have it known that you, the eminent Dr. Benton, the trusted, the revered Dr. Jacob Benton, deliberately and with malice of forethought, caused the death of a girl? How would you like that? You're insane, positively mad. Oh, no, I'm not. I've gone back over the whole thing. I know you hated Nita. You said I'd regret the day so long as I lived. You threatened to do something, and you did. At your first opportunity. You are crazy. You did everything to separate us. You tried to buy her off. When that didn't work, you killed her. Get out of here. Leave this house. You didn't just let her die. You killed her, murdered her. Get out. I know what I'm talking about. I had an autopsy performed. You what? An autopsy. Go on. She didn't die of shock. What then? She died of a very obvious internal hemorrhage, aggravated by adrenaline, which is contraindicated. You're a specialist in that line. You couldn't have made that mistake in a thousand years. But I was positive it was shock. You knew what it was. No, I, I, I must have been wrought up. I, I could have made that one wrong diagnosis that happens once in a thousand times. Oh, no, I saw the body. I could tell with as little medical experience as I've had. Tom, you... You mustn't say anything further about this. Why not? It would ruin my reputation. Oh, now you're worried about your reputation. What's that compared to the girl I love? Oh, but Tom, listen to me, please. Good night. Wait a minute. Wait, Tom. Well, what do you want, Harvey? I heard you. I heard every word. So what? I can't let it go on like this. I can't let you do this to your father. What's it to you? You keep out of it. No, Tom, now listen. You're wrong. I know what I'm talking about. Nita was murdered and I can prove it. Your father had nothing to do with it. Harvey, that's enough. Leave us alone. I won't. I can't stand by quietly and see this happen to you. I won't. Leave this room, Harvey. Don't say another word. Now, wait a minute. What are you trying to say, Harvey? I did it. Your father's trying to cover up for me. What do you mean? He wants to save my future reputation. If it got out, it, it would be a blot against me. What would be? When Jenkins called, your father was out. He told me what had happened. I left a note for your father, took an emergency bag, and flew to the island and... In hopes I could do something. Go on. I I thought Nita was suffering from shock. I, I was terribly upset because... Because I was in love with her. So I gave her adrenaline. I wasn't experienced enough to recognize symptoms of hemorrhage. Is that the truth? Yes, now that he's told it, there's nothing I can do. I knew in an instant it was hemorrhage. When I saw the adrenaline vial, I knew what a terrible mistake he'd made. He was emotionally upset over the girl, and I wanted to give him a chance. It was done. I tried my best to pull her through, but it was too late. I, I'm sorry, Tom. Terribly sorry. Harvey guiltily leaves the library and goes up the stairs to his room. Tom stands staring at Jacob, then drops into a chair and begins to sob softly. A few minutes pass, then a shot. Tom and his father leap to their feet, rush up the stairs and into Harvey's room. Harvey is sprawled dead over the desk, a gun in his hand. And on the desk, a note addressed to Tom. Read it, Tom. Dear Tom, 
I can't stand it any longer. It's been driving me crazy from the moment I did it. Nita's face is before me every second of the day and night. I was in, in love with her. But when she ran away with you, I lost my reason. I imagined she'd be better off dead. I was filled with hatred. I knew she was suffering from hemorrhage. But I gave her the adrenaline in a bit of revenge. Now it's driving me mad. Forgive me. Harvey. Well, that's the end. Another case of jealousy. Another example of the futility of allowing oneself to become a victim of the green-eyed monster, jealousy. CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next Sunday, 9.15... I, The Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. <laughs> Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. Costello program, starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, brought to you by Camel, the cigarette of costlier, properly aged tobaccos. The Abbott and Costello program, with the modern rhythm of Will Osborne and his orchestra, Iris Adrian, our singing star Connie Haynes, and spotlighting that chubby, chunky little cherub, who, when caught trying to rent his kid brother to a freak show because he heard his mother say he had grown another foot, calmly said, I'm a Well, Costello, late again. Here I get you a nice job in Melonhead's department store, and on the very first day you come in late for work. Well, what's your excuse this time? Well, Abbott, I've been out on Hollywood Boulevard, and I was watching the Santa Claus parade. Yeah. And what a parade! I know that. First came the big bunch of movie stars, and then came Santa Claus, and after Santa Claus came the beautiful Lady Godiva on a big white horse. Well, what came after Lady Godiva? The cops. The guy. Ca- oh. <laughs> Stop talking like a child. Horses in a Christmas parade. Oh, they had all kinds of animals in a parade, Abbott. You should have seen that great big giraffe. Giraffe? Yeah, you know what, Abbott? What? I wish I was the body of a giraffe and Lana Turner was the head. You wish you were the body of a giraffe and Lana Turner was the head? Why? I always wanted the long neck with Lana Turner. Costello, get get busy and dust off those counters. Come on. No, you don't.
dust off the counter. Get over there and dust them off. Ah, but I've got to hang up this sign. Oh, boy, isn't that a beautiful sign? What does it say? Look at it. Original gowns by Costello. Nifty creations, stresses, and capes for slender young figures and droopy old shapes. <laughs> C. Pierre Costello, the great French designer. <laughs> Wait a minute. How can you call yourself a French designer? I mean, designer. <laughs> have you ever been... Have you ever been to Paris? Oui, oui. I'm a well-known parasite. And... Uh... <laughs> and did you study the latest styles? Oui. Did you look over the French models? Wow! <laughs> I see. I see. In other words, you like mannequins. No, I like girlikins. You like girlikins? Yes, babykins. Uh, I'll talk there. <laughs> Answer that. Okay, 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 okay. Melon Head's department store. Uh, pardon me, but do you have a large aluminum pot? Yes, I have. My heavens, how do you get your pants on? <laughs> hey, that's a very... That's a big belly laugh. I think I'll pull it on Abbott. Hey, Abbott, have you got a large aluminum pot? No, but I've got a six-cup percolator. Now, what am I going to do with the pants? <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of talking to you. If you want me, I'll be in ladies' lingerie. You'll be where? I'll be in ladies' lingerie. Well, that's a nice picture. You're going to wear scanties for panties? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Tell me, I'm going over there to pick out a blouse for my wife. Uh, a peekaboo. A what? Peekaboo. Okay. Peekaboo! <laughs> I see you. I didn't know you liked to play kitty games. Look, will you shut up? I'm going to get my wife a blouse and a nice pair of mules. A pair of mules? Yes. I wonder what my wife would say to a pair of mules. Well, she'd probably say like everybody else. Whoa, and giddy up. I'm talking about a pair of bedroom mules. Bedroom mules? Yes, my wife has all kinds of mules in her bedroom. Red mules, green mules. Why, she even has a pair of chicken mules. Hey, Abbott, do you see all those different colored mules with your own eyes? Uh, certainly, I see them every night. In fact, I saw them this morning. Let me smell your breath. <laughs> Look here, dummy. Doesn't your mother have mules in her bedroom? No, my father's very particular. Look, <laughs> when your mother gets up in the morning, what does she put on her feet? Corn plastic. I, no, no, no. <laughs> she must have some kind of mules. There are two kinds of mules, silk and felt. Felt? Yes. Hasn't your mother felt mules? No, sir. She never touches any kind of animals. <laughs> Look, forget about the animals. Every woman likes mules. Now, my wife uses a pair of mules to go around the house. What's the matter? Is she too lazy to walk? <laughs> when she gets up in the morning, she always slips on her mule. Why don't she keep them out in the backyard? Why, my wife needs her mules uh, to keep her feet warm. You mean you all sleep in the same bed? <laughs> sleep in the same bed. My wife keeps her mules under the bed. For goodness sakes, don't the board of health say nothing? Look, that settles it. I'm going right up to Mr. Mellahin's office and tell him that you're not fit to work in a department store. Please don't do what? it, Abbott. Why not? Don't make me lose my job. Well, I should. I'm trying to make some Christmas money to buy my dear old mother a present. What do you mean? I wanted to get her a little pet squirrel. You want to buy, buy a little squirrel for your mother? Yes, Abbott. I figured he could help her with the housework and do the dusting. Now, wait a minute. A little uh, bit of squirrel. Wait help. a minute. How could a squirrel help your mother with the dusting? We just tie up his tail and let him run between the Venetian blinds. Oh, that's... <laughs> Thank you, Bud and Lou.
Travel presents Will Osborne and his orchestra. From Will's new picture, Swing Parade of 1946, just a little fond affection. Johnson got that I haven't got. What else? 
Will you please come in? Mellon has department store. Uh, this is Costello. Costello. For heaven's sakes, where are you? I'm across the street at drugstore. What are you doing over there? You're not going to stick me with no $5 umbrella. I can buy one over here for 39 cents. <laughs> fans everywhere, lovely little Connie Haynes sings, It Might As Well Be Spring. I'm as restless as a willow in a windstorm. I'm as jumpy as a puppet on a string. I'd say that I have spring fever, but I know it isn't spring. I'm sorry, I'm vaguely discontented Like a nightingale without a song to sing Oh, why should I have spring fever When it isn't even spring I keep wishing I was somewhere down a strange new street, hearing words that I have never heard from a man I'm yet to meet. I'm as busy as a spider spinning daydreams. I'm as giddy as a baby on a wing. I haven't seen a croaker or a rosebud or a robin on the wing, but I feel so gay in a melancholy way that it might as well be spring, it might as well. Come here, you apprentice 
moron? Do you realize you haven't sold a thing all day? I'm going to give you one last chance, Costello. Here comes one of my store's best customers. Now see if you can wait on her. Okay. Come, come okay. on, Costello. Okay. Oh, oh, how do you do, Mrs. Nile? Hello, Mr. Abbott. My, I see you have a new washing machine on display. Oh, pardon me, it's Costello. The tub fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Niles, I don't want to have any discussions with you. Not during the happy Yuletide season. Every time I talk to you, I have an awful time holding my temper in. Well, that's silly, Costello, holding your temper in and letting the rest of you spread all over the place. <laughs> oh, I wish you hadn't said that, Mrs. Niles. I was just about to say you're beautiful as a summer sky. Your eyes are like your twinkling stars. Your hair is like cloud kissed by moonbeams. Your slender white neck is like the Milky Way. In your mouth. Yes, yes, my mouth. Your mouth hangs open like the Big Dipper. <laughs> Costello, I refuse to talk to you. Miss Rabbit, I'd like to get something for my husband, Kenneth, that'll make him very happy. Where are you going to get a new face? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Costello, that's enough. Uh, Tell me, Mrs. Niles, could we interest you for uh, some friend in the service? Why, yes. Now, what could you suggest for a soldier about 35? A blonde, about 21. (laughs) I am not talking to you, Costello. Miss Rabbit, there's another present I have to get. Oh, it's it's for an old flame of mine I used to run around with when I was a young girl. If you ran around with him when you were a young girl, you'd better get him a bowl. A bowl? Yeah, something to soak his bread in. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Rabbit, I'll, I'll never forget dear Ralph. You know... He and two other boys, Roger and Grant, proposed to me one night, but I turned them all down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, it made them so unhappy that the very next day, Roger took strychnine, Ralph took arsenic, and Grant took Richmond. <laughs> oh. oh, I've taken just about enough from you, Costello. I'm leaving the store and I'm never coming back. Goodbye. So, Costello, you insult my best customer. That does it. Get your hat and coat and get out. Go on, here's your week's salary. Just a minute. This doesn't look like a full week's salary. Where do I count it? Go on. 10, 20, 30, 41, 42, 43. It's all here. 43 cents. <laughs> no Christmas bonus? All right. Here's a bonus. 44 cents I got now. Right. All right. Now, get out. Well, I warned you, Costello. Now you're fired. What are you going to do? I'm not going to lose my temper. Not around Christmas time anyway. I'm going to return good for evil. I'm going to spend all my salary right here in this very store. No, I don't know how you do it, Costello. Mrs. Niles is mad at you, your girlfriend is mad at you, and now Melonhead is mad at you. But there's one person in this world that loves me. That's my Uncle Artie Stebbins' wife, my Aunt Annie. Come on, Abbott. I'm going to buy her something at the cosmetic counter. Is there anything I can do for you? We carry a full line of cosmetics. Rouge, lipstick, face cream, and cleansing tissue. Cleansing what? Tissue. Tissue. Well, it seems kind of silly, but if you want to tiss me, go ahead. <laughs> you tiss me and I'll tiss you. All right, all right, Costello. Let, please, let me handle this. Look, madam, my friend here is a little confused. He doesn't know what to get his Aunt Annie for Christmas. Well, maybe I can help. What kind of a complexion does she have? Is she fair, dark, or medium? Oh, she has a peach complexion. A peach complexion? Yeah, yellow and fuzzy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from the description of this lady, I imagine she could use one of our facial kits. One of your what? The lady wants to sell you a kit. 
What I want to buy a kit for? I'm going to get married and have kits of my own. <laughs> well, you don't understand. This is a beauty kit with the full instructions. All this lady has to do is apply some of this lotion. Then she covers her face with the white of an egg, some sour cream, and a cake of yeast. She did that once. What, what happened? The next morning, she broke out in biscuits. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> now, you silly boy, you tickle me. Now, you tickle me first. Stop that. <laughs> Costello, if you don't buy something pretty soon, I'm going to walk out on you. Well, just a minute, boys. How about something for the lady's hair? Does she have a snood? Certainly she's got a snood. Well, um, is it a short snood that hangs down her back? No, it's a long snood that hangs down over her chin. Castello, <laughs> the lady is talking about your aunt's hairdo. Yes, what's your aunt's hairdo? What does her hairdo? Yes. Comes out when she comes in. No, Castello, we're trying to find out how she does her hair. Does she pile it on the top of her head or does she drop it down her neck? She hangs it up in the closet. No. <laughs> Look, Castello. Does she wear her hair off her face? No, it takes too long to wear it off. She has to pull it out with tweezers. <laughs> Look, miss, please. Costello's hand is short and fat, just like him. Oh, I've got just the present for her. A special weight-reducing machine called the Melt Your Belt Away Fat Cabinet. There it is, standing right over there. Lady, those things are a big fake. Now, Costello, how can you call a thing a fake without trying it? Uh, how much does your aunt weigh? 240 pounds with a girdle on. Well, how much does she weigh with it off? I don't know. She could never get it off. <laughs> well, now, this machine is absolutely guaranteed to take the weight off, no matter how fat you are. If you're skeptical, young man, why don't you get into the machine and try it yourself? Now, that's fair enough. Go ahead. Get into the machine, and we'll find out if it works. Wait a minute, Abbott. No, no. Now, no. go on. Get Abbott, in there. Get in there. Go on. Get in there. Now, that's a good boy. Uh, yeah. Now, we'll turn on the machine, and you'll see how it melts the fat away in no time. Costello. Costello, where are you? I'm right. Speak to me. Where are you? I'm right here, Rabbit. But uh, well, all I can see is a little puddle of water. Well, don't step in it. It's me. Anthony Costello will be back for Camel Cigarettes in just a moment. And now, this week's salute in the new series of salutes to the men who won the victory. Tonight, we salute the 36th. Texas Division, heroes of Salerno, Casino, France, and Germany. In your honor, men of the Texas Division, the makers of camels are sending to your fellow servicemen overseas 500,000 camel cigarettes. Each of the two camel radio shows thus honors the different units of the Army, Navy, Marines, and Coast Guard. A total of a million camels sent free each week. Camel broadcasts go out to the United States twice a week are rebroadcast to practically every area in the world where our men are stationed, and in cooperation with the Good Neighbor Policy, also to Central and South America. Listen next Thursday when Camel again presents Abbott and Costello. And I'll hear Bud Abbott and Lou Costello with a final word. Ladies and gentlemen, we have had many complaints that the program is too short. So uh, we'd like to ask you a question. Ladies and gentlemen, what would you say if starting next week, you could hear a full hour of Abbott and Costello. Oh, no, not that! Anything but that! Oh, how much can a guy stand? Oh. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you! Hey, you think you're pretty smart interrupting us every week. Huh? Yeah, I've been around. I'd like to ask you a question. Go There's ahead. a mule on one side of the river. On the other side is a bale of hay. The river's 40 feet deep. How does the mule get the hay? I give up. That's what the other jackass did, huh? Good night, folks. <laughs> 
Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. And don't forget, buy buy all the victory bonds you possibly can at your local theater. Get all you possibly can. Buy more and more. Come on, everybody in Patterson. Another great Abbott and Costello show brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. And remember, try camels in your tea zone. See if they don't suit your taste, your throat, to a tea. More and more veterans of the war are being returned to civilian life every day. Many already have civilian jobs. Others are looking for jobs. Here are a few simple facts that every veteran, every employer, indeed every American should know. The average veteran will make a far better employee than before the war. His selection for service in the armed forces proved his physical and mental soundness. His training in the armed forces has probably given him special skills and know-how, useful in many civilian jobs. His service in the armed forces has given him the discipline, self-reliance, and maturity that are invaluable ingredients of success. Costello Show for Camel Cigarettes. We'll be back at this very same time next week. Don't miss it. This is Ken Niles in Hollywood wishing you all a pleasant good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by Archie Andrews. Thanks to Joel Shonwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.